there are many things that older generations should learn from millennials. So older generations were more conservative. Transparency was not always there. Job stability was very important for us. You know, if we needed to sacrifice for our future, we would do so. We would not confront our bosses. We would not challenge status quo. We were not willing to question things. And millennials love to question. They love to understand why. And they are also willing to take more risks. Millennials love to take risks. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast. Hey, if you're just tuning in to the Superhumans at Work podcast by Mindvalley, be sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a review if you're a regular listener so that we can reach even more people with these amazing ideas on how to be a superhuman at work. Now, let's get started with today's episode, which is going to blow your mind. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Campbell, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. Now, we're going to address a topic today that may not have been something you actually consciously had a system and think that you needed a system to deal with. But the matter of the fact is that we have a generational gap that exists within the workplace. We've heard about how the majority of the workspace people have been baby boomers year after year. And this new generation coming in, the millennials, are thinking so differently. They're so strange. There seems to be a gap where the older generation doesn't understand what motivates them and the younger generation just doesn't want to follow the rules. Is this the way it has to be? Is there any hope that we can actually collaborate together and drive impact and value and be a high performer? So whether you're an employee that isn't the millennial generation or you are a baby boomer, we want to bridge the gap and we're going to have some specific tactics and tools that will give you a better understanding of the opposite side and make you a better leader or specialist in the workplace as you understand these differences and use them to be high performer. Now, the guest that I bring to you to speak of this topic is no stranger to it because Mario Julio is a general manager at Price Waterhouse Cooper, Argentina. But get this, his division employs more than 1,200 people. And this includes students and professional, of which consists 85% millennial. He has more than 25 years of experience in leadership, and he does trainings around the topic of leadership, team management, work-life balance, the future of work, among others. But particularly where we're going to focus on this episode is where he really educates everyone around the world on how do we deal with that gap between millennials and the older generation, and how do we work better together. So it's with my great pleasure that I bring Mario to the show. Mario, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you. And wow, like you've really brought the conversation to everybody within the company. I'd be curious to kick off by just hearing, how did you get started with like really focusing on the issue between millennials and the older generation? And what were the issues you were seeing that made you really tackle it? Well, I have always been very curious about this issue, you know, and Bosses, leaders, and as you said, we usually hear noise, bosses complaining about millennials and centennials, let's say. It's important that we understand how the mindset of the new generations has evolved over the last several years. I think that it is not fair to relate millennials' behavior to lack of interest, responsibility, or commitment. 
many times I have been asked how to deal with the new generations. And, you know, my answer is always the same. I think that it is not about how to deal with the new generations, but it's about how to deal with oneself, all right, facing the new generations. Lead yourself and you will be able to lead millennials, centennials, or, or anybody. So therefore, to me, there's nothing inherent to millennials, you know. They are just young people. Behaviors will change as they grow. So we need to deconstruct the several pieces. Is this something like... It feels like everyone's speaking about this like it's the first time it's ever happened that a generation has come into the workplace and they seem to be not interested in working. But it's interesting. You say it's actually working on the self. Is this a pattern that usually happens every time there's a generational change or is this unique to just this generation? Well, I think that there are some characteristics of these generations that they are unique to these generations. But when I started working 25 years ago, there were some things at that moment that were also unique to my generation. So perhaps I think that we need to understand, you know, how the millennial mindset evolved and we need to, you know, to deconstruct things and then we need to build bridges. I think that there are three bridges that we can build. What can a company do from a cultural perspective? What can leaders and bosses do? And finally, last but not least, what can millennials do? I love it. And we're going to be breaking all of these in this short episode together. But I love that it actually gives responsibility on all the three levels, the company and the individuals on both sides of the gap. Now, I'd love to dig a bit more about this understanding. Like, what is it that makes the millennials or centennials mindset that different? Like, is it because we have different access to technology? Is it because we've been exposed to different media? What's so different about the way that we were raised that just makes it so that it's difficult for us to bridge that gap with the older generation? Well, there are several components. Let's start with the following. I think that while millennials face some challenges, there are many things that older generations should learn from millennials. Just to give you a couple of examples. So older generations were more conservative. Transparency was not always there. Job stability was very important for us. You know, if we needed to sacrifice for our future, we would do so. We would not confront our bosses. We would not challenge status quo. We were not willing to question things. And millennials love to question. They love to understand why. And they are also willing to take more risks. Millennials love to take risks. And this has a couple of reasons, you know. First, millennials have developed self-confidence better than older generations, for sure. And second, according to several studies, let's say 30 years ago, more than 50% of the people that at that moment were 25 years ago were either married or had children, which is not the case today. So accordingly, when you do not have a family behind, you will be willing to take more risks. You know, that's a fact. So millennials and centennials, they love transparency, autonomy. They live the day, day by day. They are willing to learn, but have fun at the same time at work, which is great. They care about sustainability. They care about climate change, purpose, self-confidence, search for meaning. And this is great for me. On the other hand, you know, according to different surveys and studies, they search for instant gratification. They recognize themselves as impatient. They accept that they express better online than in person. They know that communication and problem-solving skills are key to success. But at the same time, 
some of them admit that technology is weakening their ability to have strong interpersonal relationships. And, you know, while millennials and centennials continue to search for meaning, at the same time, they say that nothing fulfills them unless they are online. Again, this is generally speaking, all right? And this feels like a contradiction because, you know, Jason, if you want to feel fulfilled, work on yourself. So if you spend a lot of time in social media, you will never feel fulfilled. So they know that they are facing these challenges. Eventually, they will realize that building relations takes time. Building trust takes time. We need personal interaction. And this is not a matter of instant gratification, but this is how nature works. So I think that older generations should be more close to them, guide them. We need to stop judging millennials and pretending that they were different. And only by accepting this reality, your approach to millennials will change significantly. So leaders should be able to differentiate millennials' characteristics that are to be valued with respect to those that need coaching, guidance, and mentoring. I love it. I really do, because it really paints a picture of things that I've witnessed myself. And I'm really excited about getting deeper into these three bridges, but I wanted to clarify something first which is we talk about millennials and centennials. This is actually the first time I hear the term centennials. So I was hoping maybe you could tell us what are the groups that fit within millennials, centennials, and if there's any differences. And even further than that, since you've worked with people around the world, are you noticing anything particular when it comes to cross-cultural management with this generation? Okay, let's start with the last question. You know, I have been traveling all around the world, different continents, and basically the issues are exactly the same. Young people are young people anywhere. Of course, you may have some cultural differences, you know, but young people are young in India, in China, in Argentina, in the United States, or, or everyone. I'm going to your first question. You know, millennials, centennials, it's just a convention, you know. People say that centennials are until they have 22, sorry, yes, 22 years old, millennials is until 35. But really, to me, that does not make any sense. We are talking about young people. What do they need and what do they bring? Mm, very good. Okay, so then I definitely fall into the category of a millennial here, which is one thing I wanted to make sure because I was speaking like I'm a millennial, but I'm like, I don't even know if I am. And when you describe the characteristics of looking for instant gratification, being impatient, I mean, I'm 31 at the time of this recording, but I can remember myself when I was in my early 20s or late teens, I actually was doing an internship within the government. And if there's a place that has bureaucracy and you know, everything needed to be kept to the status quo. It was the worst place for someone like me who's so innovation mindset and I wanted to change everything. I saw the potential with technology and I was put into this ecosystem where I just wanted to rip my hair out because I could see how people were working on the wrong issues. I was extremely impatient and I was really miserable. And I'm so happy that I did that when I was so young because I could immediately determine that this was probably not the environment that I wanted to be at with the fact that I was, you know, so young, eager to learn. But I've also noticed how I've matured now today where I have built on that patience and understanding that there are a lot of qualities I can see into the older generation that I needed to adapt to be more effective myself. And so with that, I wanted to maybe jump into that first bridge because when I see that company, that government institution, it was actually a place where the culture was definitely not supportive of the kind of 
person that I was at that younger age. And I don't know if that was okay or if it was not okay. So what can a company do from a cultural perspective? Okay, Jason. So first, let us agree on what corporate or organizational culture means, you know, because there are so many books around culture. I would put it very, very simple. Culture is the way in which people in a company do things. Only that. Culture in a company is like habits in a person. So the culture should be aligned to me with the following five pillars, you know, and we can spend a little bit of time in the following five pillars. So the first one to me is that work should not mean, and actually work does not mean having a bad time. Work does not mean sacrifice. Work should never mean stress. And, you know, many times millennials ask how to manage stress. So to me, that question is wrong by definition. I always tell them that stress has nothing to do with the amounts of hours that they work or the level of responsibility that they have. In fact, in companies, there are moments of high workload and times in which we are not that busy and stress has nothing to do with the amount of work, but it has to do with how you spend and how you feel during work hours. You know, stress is a consequence of many things. You know, Jason, for example, having unrealistic expectations, pretending that the world adapts to me, not living in harmony. You know, as Professor Rao says, if you live in a me-centered universe, you will live with stress. And that has nothing to do with how many hours you work. So I can tell you in my 27 years in the workforce, I have been in offices of many companies and in different countries. And it is really sad when you get, for example, in an elevator of the company and you listen to people speaking. For example, after lunch, they say, oh, this is great. At least the day is already half over. Or typically on a, on a Friday that you listen people to say, thanks God, it's Friday and the week is almost over. And really, that is very sad to me. You know, we all love Friday. We all love the weekend to be with our friends, with our family. But one thing is to be excited about the weekend that is coming. And another thing is to suffer during the week, therefore waiting for it to finish since you cannot stand your work anymore. So I always tell millennials that if you are really suffering from your work, you have to stop the ball, rethink the situation. Nobody should have a bad time at work. So you know, Jason, we spend 70% of the hours that we are awake, we usually dedicate those hours to work. Therefore, it is not only about avoiding having a bad time, but it is about promoting having a great time while we work. Have a good time, enjoy, learn, generate relations, grow. You know, in PwC, we have a program which is called Be Well, Work Well, where we want to fuel our four dimensions of energy, you know, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, because we are really convinced that if you feel good in these dimensions, if you care about your well-being, you will work well. I love that you say be well before the work well, where it's like when you be well, that actually is the first priority. Is this really how it manifests? Exactly, exactly. Again, it's a change in mindset, right? And this starts from this thing about we cannot relate work with having a bad time. We need to make a disconnection between this, that. It is within mindset of lots of people, you know? So that's about what I call, you know, the first pillar on culture. 
So the second one is about communication. I'll try to be very brief about this one. You know, this is communication at all levels with transparency and openness. And this refers to the ability and courage, I would say, to communicate the good, the bad, not to be afraid to say, I don't know, and not to be afraid to say, I was wrong. And this is not for the CEO. This is for any person in the company that has one or two or a team of people reporting to that person. Because, you know, saying I don't know or saying I was wrong is a sign of strength and humility that generates empathy and proximity. So this way, your authority does not separate you from the team, but rather gives strength to the team. Some people in companies usually struggle believing that you should not communicate until you have a decision. This may be right when decisions are made quickly, but you know, in companies there are some decisions that can take days, weeks, or even months. So when people, when your people have an expectation and they are anxious about understanding what's going on, usually silence is not a good friend because people may say, hey, what are they hiding from us? You know? So you should be able to communicate that you acknowledge the situation, that you are looking at different alternatives, that you will need more time to make decisions. And, you know, millennials love that because regardless of the issue involved, you are showing that you care about them. You know, say what you do and do what you say. Mm. And I can think of times where I didn't feel necessarily the safety within the culture of the workspace to be able to speak my mind. And that would cause me anxiety. Like, if I don't feel it's okay for me to say I don't know, then I'm not going to say anything. And then you hear about these giant companies that, like, I'll just use a blanket example here, like Blockbuster Video. I have a feeling they probably had a lot of, let's say, millennials that were speaking or just people in general that could speak and say, hey, there's some disruptions happening in the world and things are moving to digital. We don't know if we should be still selling DVDs, yet probably nobody had this, the courage to have that communication. And now look, it's a dinosaur that's going to be held back in history. And so I feel like this actually would allow companies to really be able to hear the real pulse and be accepting of the fact that not everything needs to be I know and nothing gets questioned. Absolutely, absolutely. 100% agree with you. So the next one, as we continue speaking about culture, is flexibility. You know, depending on, on the kind of work that you do, flexibility may be more or less applicable. But when flexibility is applicable, you know, home office programs, flexible schedules, and all of those human capital pol policies, they will finally disappear. Why say that? Because we need to take flexibility to the next level. And the next level for me is that flexibility should not be a policy, but should be the natural way to work. So this is the important thing. Work is no longer a place you go. Work is something that gets done. So companies usually struggle when they want to establish flex policies. And this is why. Because you need to allow for variance, creativity, and agility. So there might be situations when people want in companies to develop flexibility policies and they struggle because they can work against you. You should be flexible when creating flexibility culture. So it's a mindset of every employee, not a human capital initiative. So there's another thing. There's a universal law that says that greater freedom equals greater responsibility. 
So be clear again with your communication. And again, this is not a human capital issue. This involves all the company. You need that bosses and leaders get involved and communicate the expectations and, of course, lead by example. I love the fact that when you look at a company that's doing a shift, they're trying to create a very structured, rigid policy to allow flexibility and how ridiculous that sounds. And the way that you actually say that it's about the work getting done before, that's so great. And what would be something that would prevent a company from wanting to allow this greater flexibility? Because obviously there's people that could take advantage of the situation. And I feel that this is the first fear that most HR managers would have when they start instilling this policy. What have you witnessed? In my experience, I would say two things. It is fear, number one, being afraid of change. And second, having only human capital involved in these decisions without the right involvement of all the people that run the company, all the bosses, all the leaders. Again, this is not a human capital initiative. Human capital will give you the framework, will help you to implement, but this is something that should be really taken care of by all bosses and leaders. Mm, I love it. So we've talked about having fun at work. We have adding communication, making sure that communication is clear. Flexibility allows you to actually empower your millennials and make sure that it's understood as a very core value, gives more freedom, more responsibility, but also can bring more productivity. What is our fourth pillar? I would like to mention about what I call the culture of permanent learners. And this is very connected, you know, to humility. So it's very important that companies emphasize that we are all permanent learners. Again, from the number one to the last new joiner. And society often confuses us when we are told that we need to learn in order to achieve a goal. For example, we need to study a career in order to you know, get a degree and be able to get a good job. This is right, but this is misleading. So we need to think differently. We do not learn to achieve an objective, but our permanent objective must be to learn. So therefore, it's very powerful powerful for millennials to realize that your culture is of humility. Everybody's a learner. Nobody knows everything, not at all. And this is consistent with the fact that leaders and bosses should say, I don't know, or I was wrong, as we spoke before. And culture must include error or mistakes as something natural in any process. An error must be embraced instead of penalized. Of course, that company usually we train our staff as we want to minimize mistakes, you know, but you will never eliminate 100% of mistakes. Imagine a baby. Imagine a baby who's learning to walk. His parents pretend the baby should get out of the crib and walk. Nature does not work like that. A child takes months to learn to walk. The baby will strangle, will fall, <laughs> and day by day, he or she will be doing better until suddenly the baby will be walking around. So at work, it is exactly the same. It is normal to make mistakes. Moreover, it is expected that mistakes are made. So what I always tell new joiners, because when you ask people that joins the company, what are you afraid of? And they always say the following, I am afraid of making mistakes. And I tell them, don't worry, because you will make mistakes. So Again, 
the issue is the following. When they occur, when they happen, do not pretend that they do not exist. The problem is not the mistake. The problem is the attitude towards a mistake. You need to see it, ask for help, understand why you made a mistake, and most importantly, learn from that mistake. Making mistakes is what is expected, but making the mistake two or three times the same mistake may involve an attitude issue. You know, I usually challenge my staff that once they learn from a, a certain mistake, they should try not to repeat the same mistake again. The next mistake should be more complex, more elaborate, and this way they will grow and improve. I love it. And as well, the fact that I can just think of the times that I've been under a leader that was a know-it-all, and I feel like I could automatically detect the insecurity or the lack of integrity or authenticity of that leader when they did not assume to be a learner themselves. Is this something that we just have a radar for that's more sensitive and actually makes us lose that trust? <laughs> of course, that realizing those kind of things will definitely generate distance in your relation with your boss. You know, it's about trust. You know, it's about being close. Is a human-to-human relation, really, not a, you know, a new joiner boss, because all of us are human beings learning. Each of us at our own stage, you know, at our own phase in life, but we are all the same, you know, all of us are learning. So if you realize that you have these kind of things, for sure, you will not be happy about that relation. And for sure, you will voluntarily or involuntarily, you will get close to that relation. Mm, all right. And so this last pillar I find is so, so important for the th changes we want to see in the world about purpose-driven culture. Tell us more. Yes, you know, Fred Kaufman is a leadership teacher, very famous and popular in Latin American countries. And Fred explains this very well. And he gives a great example. He says that your job What you think your job is, that's not your job. Look at this example. In a soccer team, for example, each player's job is to win, all right? That is your real goal. Each player will have a role, but the goalkeeper's job, for example, is not to stop goals, but help his team to win. And the job of a striker is not to score goals, but help his team to win. In my case at PwC, my job is not to be an auditor or a consultant or whatever, but my real job is to contribute to PwC fulfilling its purpose, which is build trust in society and solve important problems. So our real job of all of us is to contribute to the company in which we work so that the company meets its purpose or mission. Each of one will contribute in a certain way, but that's not important. We should not confuse the daily tasks that we do with our real job. For example, in Mind Valley, if you ask a person in Mind Valley, what's your job? Someone may say that his or her job is to, I don't know, recruit highly talented resources or design the best platform for online contents. I would argue those are not their real jobs. To me, those are their daily tasks, but their real job is to contribute to create a global school that delivers transformational education for all ages. And that is the real job of all of you in my valley, guys. That's how I see it. So 
here is where a company can reinforce these messages about what's your real job. And, you know, millennials are very aligned with these concepts. Therefore, as long as your purpose or mission in a company resonates with the individual needs or values of the people, that way you will generate engagement and strong commitment. It's almost as if you're working within a company, you're there to drive the mission. It doesn't matter what you're specifically doing. And even if the task that you're currently doing becomes redundant, becomes not required, maybe there's a project that shifts. As long as you know that's always driving towards the same purpose, then you're still going to find the way to contribute to the company. And you can find a way to navigate within the organization, grow within a different position, join a different department if you're aligned to the purpose. And I would say the millennials are probably more sensitive to this than any other generation. Whereas if that purpose doesn't align with what I want to bring forward to the world, I don't feel like working there and I don't feel motivated to show up at 110%. Absolutely. And there are great companies with great purposes or missions that should definitely take advantage of this. And I am meaning naturally because really they have great purposes that add value to the human race, to the world, to the universe. And it's about connecting the purpose, again, with the individual values and needs. I love it. So we go back through this. So we're talking about how we need to embrace the fact that work needs to have an element of fun. We're already spending 70% of our life there. We might as well make it so it's in a way that it's not a drain or a slavery environment. You want it to understand that it has to have an element of fun and it actually drives to more engagement and more performance. We want to make sure everybody understands why communication needs to be understood, that everybody's open to speak out, say the truth so that actual issues get surfaced. Nobody's just staying silent or being aggressive and feeling that there's an unsafe environment to speak your mind in the workplace. We're talking about the third pillar, flexibility, ensuring that it is there and not just put a policy together, but understand that it's about getting the work done first. And when you have that flexibility, you can actually give responsibilities to employees and they can rise up to the occasion and see that the flexibility attracts even the better talent. And then having a permanent culture of learning as everybody's growing, you can have empathy for people going through different challenges and nobody's that know-it-all People are actually going in, they're learning, they're going through challenges. You accept failure as a tool for learning and then you step beyond the failure. You move on to more and more complex tasks and this is understood and communicated. And finally, having that purpose-driven culture allows for people to be focused on the greater mission, driving again engagement and then making sure that everybody knows exactly why they get up in the morning, why they show up to work, why they want to deliver work and what does it serve? What's the point of it all? Now, one thing I would add is I look at all of these and I feel, well, this is relevant for any generation. This is just a really powerful cultural framework. Is this what we're going towards here? I think so, because what I think that millennials and centennials are bringing, you know, to me, millennials and centennials are like a flashlight that sheds light on the weaknesses of, you know, prior generations or traditional bosses, you know, so this is key to reinforce all these messages. And you have summarized them very, very well, Jason. And so as we're stepping into this, maybe give a few things that we can do as a leader, a boss, a baby boomer, an older generation, because I would definitely feel that whenever ideas get challenged, 
you almost start getting defensive and you feel a little insecure because change can be scary. And so what are some basic things that a leader and boss should be aware of and that can do that will reinforce this culture that you suggest and that will also make Centennials be better to work with as I am working with them constantly? Here comes the moment when we need to make a distinction between traditional bosses and real leaders, right? And it is very difficult for a millennial to identify with a company if that millennial did not identify with his or her direct boss first. So let me repeat this. It's impossible for a millennial to identify with a company if that millennial did not identify with his or her direct boss first. So in companies where there is a great culture, but bad bosses, that is a severe contradiction, you know, and the millennials will likely leave that company. So I would highlight three significant differences between a relation of a traditional boss with a millennial versus a real leader with a millennial. And these three things, they are three typical confusions or myths that that bosses usually have. The first one is, what is a leader responsible for? Is the leader responsible just for the millennial work or more than that? And Bosses often believe that they are responsible for the work of their collaborators, right? To me, you know, that is incomplete for a true leader. Not only they are responsible for the work, but also they are responsible for the person, for their collaborator. What do I mean for this? That they should feel that they are also responsible for their professional growth, for their professional maturation, for the process of becoming a better co-worker. And this goes far beyond what a typical boss would do, you know. And this is something that schools do not teach you at all. So it's about changing the focus from a deliberable to a human being. And, you know, in PwC, one of our values is care. So what does this mean? That we care, that you care. Only if I care about you, I will be able to drive this kind of leadership and you will be open to what I have to share with you about your development because, you know, I care about you and I care about your professional growth. You know, so care and being close do not mean that you will be friends. I'm not speaking about that. Just mean that the person can't count on you not only for matters related to work, but for any matter. That's the relation. So just ensuring that the responsibility is not get the work done, it's how does that person grow? And knowing that when you invest in that, the work will improve and that person will contribute to that ultimate purpose of the company because they can actually move up within the organization. I love how you mentioned how you know people leave organizations or actually will not have a good alignment with the organization if the direct boss isn't the person that supports them and you know i think the quote i forget where it's from says people don't leave companies they leave bad bosses exactly exactly absolutely absolutely so this is the first one though the second one is about trust you know when i usually speak with people especially with new joiners i usually ask them do you usually distrust other people and you know jason most of the time, a, a lot of people raise their hands. So then I ask them, okay, so do you consider yourself a reliable person? And all of the people raise their hand. So I tell them, hey, 
we need to realize we have a problem here. <laughs> you know, not only because people operate from a context where they think that they should not trust unless they have evidence showing that they can, but also most of the people that raise their hand saying that in general they would not trust people at the same time they are expecting others to trust them. So businesses are developed based on trust. Relations are built based on trust. Therefore, you need to operate from trust. And again, this does not mean that you will be naive. You know, you may be skeptical. You know, you can take your precautions. That's fine. Being skeptical is like being neutral. But one thing is to be neutral. And another thing is lack of trust with no reason, but by definition. That does not help to build relations. You are responsible to generate the trust in a working relationship. So do not expect to receive trust before you give it. It works, you know, two ways at the same time. So it's on you whether you want to play first. I've seen times where you actually jump in with that expectation of negative trust. It shifts your entire body language. It shifts even the way that you ask questions, the types of question, and it will naturally manifest what you've already imagined in your head. And You know, you hear often the case of like the teacher that gets told that three students in the class are excellent and those three students naturally become the best in the class or you tell a teacher, oh, this one is a problem student and that student naturally becomes the worst in class simply based on expectation. And so it seems that if you're a boss that has that negative trust bias, you're going to create that reality for yourself. Exactly. You can only go to where you are coming from. So finally, if you ask me what are the main three things, we have already spoken about what's the real responsibility, then we spoke about trust, and let me speak one minute about another confusion that I usually hear in people, and it's about generating a great working environment or working with focused discipline and limits or boundaries. And this is a typical confusion, you know, since people think that it is one or the other, and It is not one or the other. It is both. And let me explain you why. All of us as a team, we need to meet objectives, deadlines, due dates. We need to generate certain results in any company. So therefore, we will need to focus and adhere to some agreed behaviors. And discipline is required to chill to achieve all of this. In addition, sometimes we need to agree certain limits or boundaries. And this is healthy. This is honest and should not be understood as rigid. I would put it this way. The great working environment with trust and openness is the right context for focus, discipline, and limits, you know? So it is true that millennials need guidance and may need some limits, you know, for example, if they do not keep their word, if they do not meet their objectives and, you know, they did not raise their hand timely when something is not working with their behaviors. But again, the problem is that bosses in general do not know how to give feedback in a constructive way or they do not know how to agree on expectations or limits. And, you know, it's really hard, but setting limits or giving constructive feedback, it is an art. Setting limits, I always compare setting limits with like pruning a rose bush. If you do not prune the rose bush at the right time, the right way, the rose will grow weak and will not express its maximum potential, you know. So the same goes with children. 
and the same goes with adults, and the same goes with millennials. Sometimes we all need limits. The limits, when they are communicated in a constructive and non-judgmental way, and they come from a context of care, they will definitely result in the individual being more open and aware. You will have an excellent working environment and millennials will love to work with you because they will feel that you care and they will realize how much they learn and grow working with you. Mm. So I love it where it's actually a question of making sure you have kind of those crucial conversations that need to happen, not defaulting to, you know, blaming or, or just shutting off and just letting them fail until you decide you're going to kick them out. You want to be able to have those healthy boundaries. You want to be able to have that communication open and know that they are receptive to it. And this is going to make them grow. It's going to make you grow. And everybody contributes to the purpose again, because you embrace these three things, starting with taking responsibility, caring, having a bias for positive trust, and then understanding that the work environment needs to be very well respected, knowing that you set boundaries, you still give them the responsibility but you also set those tight boundaries that are necessary so that the work gets accomplished and everybody grows in the process. This is really powerful, and yet it puts a lot of responsibilities on the leader and bosses. Yet I know that in your third bridge actually has some work that needs to be done from the millennials and centennials themselves. And we've already talked about you know, how there's a lack of maybe communication skills from the millennials to be able to show up at the work and communicate the right way, maybe even speak their mind be better in person. So what are a couple things that a millennial needs to be aware of so that they can show up and do their part in making sure that this organization becomes a thriving culture that it can be while it's bridging the gaps? Sure. You know, in the same way that older generations see millennials as, you know, rare and difficult species, let's say, millennials also tend to see previous generations as old-fashioned, with little flexibility, far from technology, and in many cases, distant. So my key message is, and every time that I have the chance to speak with them and what we usually do in our company, is basically, I would say, three things about what millennials can do. Very important train and develop emotional intelligence. This is, you know, emotional intelligence is a cornerstone, cornerstone of leadership. You know, emotions do not only come from external stimuli, but also because of our thoughts, which include our beliefs, our values, how we interpret reality, etc. So thoughts can create feelings and feelings can create thoughts. And you know, Jason, it has been proven long time ago that one is cause and consequence of the other. And you know, this can create some vicious, vicious circles that require professional help to be understood and dealt with. For example, you know, negative thoughts have a central role in depression and feelings of, you know, when you are sad and that is created by your depression, that brings other negative thoughts that feed into that negative circle. So when emotions come from our thoughts, if we can change our thoughts, and we definitely can, we will be able also to change what we feel, you know? And when emotions come from external stimuli, we cannot change the external stimuli, but we can definitely choose how we respond to our emotions. So instead of resisting what's going on and having, you know, an automatic reaction, we accept whatever's going on and respond to the situation wisely. You know, it's curious because emotional intelligence is usually 
counterintuitive for millennials because emotional intelligence requires to have the ability to stop the ball, have serenity, think, and this is the opposite of the need for immediate gratification that we spoke before. But you can definitely train this skill. And for those listening here, we've actually had Daniel Goleman come on the show previously speaking about emotional intelligence, if you want to go deeper. And I know for myself, this is a skill that I'm constantly looking to improve because I know the more self-mastery I have within my own emotions, the better I can show up for everybody. Then again, we have already discussed about this and it's about communication skills. And in my valley, you have great quests about how to communicate. And what I usually see in millennials is that whatever you need, whatever you feel, not only communicate what you think or what you want, try and learn to also communicate why you want what you why, what you are asking for what you are asking. It's not only the what, but also the why. You know, great leaders communicate what they are experiencing. And, you know, when we speak about negotiation skills, it's about understand why I want this, and more important, try to understand why the other person is asking what he or she is asking. So it's not about the ask, it's about the why. So this is very important about communication. And I would say last, and when you speak with millennials, they usually, all of them tell you that they want to become great leaders. So there's something that it's important that bosses or leaders help them is to start cultivating what I call a leadership mindset or an abundance mindset, you know? So, you know, Jason, our results are the consequences of what we do and what we do are the consequences of what we think. That's it, you know, and this is something that is understood by any leader. So a leadership mindset is something that all of us can develop. First thing, remember that we can choose how and what we think. So, Set up your brain, you know, in a responsible mode and not in a victim mode. Find satisfaction in whatever you're doing and stop that thing that we are always wanting more, better and different, you know. That is scarcity mindset. And from scarcity mindset, you can only generate scarcity. Again, it is great to have ambition. So it is great that you're looking forward to improving yourself and having amazing objectives in your life. But be careful. You also need to develop an acceptance mindset for those things that you cannot control. So, you know, do not pretend that your that the world, that the people, that your bosses fit into your narrative. You know, nature does not work like that. And great leaders understand this. Operate from trust. We have already spoken about trust. Operate from humility. Develop gratitude. You know, gratitude will help you to eliminate scarcity mindset and eliminate negativity. You know, gratitude is a great antidote for negativity. So we could speak a lot more about mindset, but the important thing is that you can develop a leadership mindset. This makes so much sense. And I'm so grateful that we got to cover so much here. And I just want to recap it for everybody, because if you're in the workplace and you want to bridge this gap between millennials, centennials and the older generation, understand that you need to do a check on the culture of the company itself. Make sure the elements of fun, communication, flexibility, a culture of learning and a purpose driven culture are there and run an audit against how you're doing and see what steps you can take to bring you closer to these cultural elements that really nurture the company to have the best culture that 
that creates engagement and dedicated employees. If you're a leader or boss, understand that your responsibility is not only for the task being delivered by your team, but you have that responsibility and care for the team themselves, for them to grow into the next generation. And when they feel cared for, they'll feel that they can actually trust you. And having that trust be put in place, having a bias for positive trust, again, helps build on the relationship. And when that environment that you've created with your team still pushes on the deadlines that need to be met, but embraces the cultural aspects that we've talked before, you're going to see that you'll be able to see those millennials thrive and really be willing to go above and beyond to contribute to the mission of that company. And if you're a millennial listening to this, you're already somebody that's looking to develop their emotional intelligence, your communication skills, and your leadership mindset by continuously learning, understanding there's always more to grow, there's always more to know. And as you listen to this podcast, you're taking courses with Mindvalley, or you're just always seeking to develop yourself even more, you will be able to have better empathy for the leaders that are looking to mentor you, and you'll be able to choose the work environments that have the kind of culture that allow you to align to your purpose and make the greatest impact possible. Mario, once again, thank you so much for coming here and sharing with us these important aspects and everybody here please go back in your workplace and see how you can bridge those gaps be more effective and really be a high performer at work thank you everybody for listening my name is jason campbell and this is superhumans at work a mind valley podcast